the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing more. Happy holidays. It's summertime, right? Sitting in the upper end of a trading range has persisted since mid-March. The SP 500 kind of is exhibiting a bullish bias, which is nice. Um, Fed Chairman Jen Yellen acknowledged that a rate hike is probably appropriate right before we went on vacation for a three-day weekend. I guess that's that's not really a vacation. It's just a long weekend, right? She says, if growth continues, if labor market continues to improve, which she expects. The headline triggers a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. So there's a little bit of a sell-off on Friday. She really wasn't supposed to talk a lot because it was one of those um, uh, public events where she was receiving a medal. And you're not really supposed to take away from the people who are giving you the medal by stating a lot of your opinions at that point in time, in theory, but she did. Last week, the SP 500 increased 2.3%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, the NASDAQ Composite, the Russell 2000 surged 2.1, 3.4%, Pretty big week. The Philadelphia Semiconductor Index up 4.6%, um, which is just a great move. And Philadelphia Semiconductor Index is kind of a, a bullish, a growthy kind of um, indicator. So market participants are growing comfortable at the thought of an impending rate hike being driven by an improving economy, as opposed to a forced effort to acquire some additional rate cut insurance for tackling the next downturn. There's a little bit of residual thought, of course, that this is an improving economy. And it should lead to improving earnings. Um, there's no guarantees, but that's the thought. There could be a good test of investor sentiment this week. Knowing that the SP 500 is sitting on that doorstep of its all-time high close of 2130. There's an OPEC meeting on Thursday. 
an ECB meeting on Thursday and a plethora of economic reports throughout the week. And it ends with a big one on Friday of employment numbers. We'll be looking at the personal income and spending report. Uh, today, it shows a four-tenths of a percent increase in personal income and a sizable one percent increase in personal consumption. That's a pretty big move. That's one of the bigger moves in the last probably seven or eight years. So we're spending more. And if we spend, it's often thought that spending is 70% of the economy. And if the economy is doing well and having money spent on it, then that leads to, uh, well, we need more people to staff the, the doors and the exits, so to speak. And we need more people to staff the business that's there. We don't want to miss it. Leads to more jobs, which leads to more spending, which leads to more economy activity, which leads to, hopefully, it trickles into Wall Street. You know, my hope is that we accumulate wealth in our lifetime, in our 401k, our 403b, our 457, um, as best we can. Personal income and spending report for April is certainly on the Fed rate hike side. So we're probably looking at a rate hike. Um, Maybe not this meeting, but probably. So there's just a lot of people who are throwing that out, throwing it down out there. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Um, I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk Trump. That's one thing. There's a couple things I'm not gonna talk right now. because we are in a political year, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But I don't think we need to jump into it today. Be huge. What was that? Oh, God, that was Trump? Be huge. Again for me? I don't even understand that. So. Um, so some stories that are in the news. Consumer spending scores its biggest jump in six years. Volkswagen has returned to profitability despite their emissions scandal. Volkswagen returned to profitability in the first quarter following a stunning dip into the red ink last year due to the company's emissions scandal. The German automaker reported a profit of about $2.6 billion, down 20% from a year earlier. Sales revenue fell 3.4%. Uh, when you have an emissions scandal, you go, what's going on? And consumers are like, I'm not going to buy from that company. Those, are, those guys are, are cheaters and liars. So the company posted... Uh, Loss of $1.8 billion in 2015 because of a lot of one-time charges. So it looks like they threw out the baby with the, with the bathwater. So restoring profitability so quickly underscores Volkswagen's financial viability despite the enormous cost of the scandal. Starbucks is going to introduce Nitro Cold Brew in stores as it aims to capitalize on the explosive growth in iced cold coffee drinks. Um, so a Nitro Cold Brew... I don't go to coffee stores enough to really understand this. Starbucks made a morning hot coffee run a staple of the American culture. They want to rule a cold roasting empire as well. Company citing data and research firm Mintel. Starbucks said iced coffee consumption has grown 75% in the past decade. And sales of cold brew in particular grew nearly 340% between 2015 and 2015. Starbucks hoping to stay step-in-step with their competitors and not fall behind. Uh, Boosting their portfolio of cold beverages as more customers opt to enjoy their cold coffee chilled, cold coffee chilled, or coffee 
chilled cold. Would you like some coffee? I'm not sure. Coffee more broadly has become a major selling point for everyone from Starbucks to McDonald's to Dunkin' Donuts. So it's big, you know. It's big. It's if we can get you in for a cup of coffee at a buck to five bucks and then get you to spend more, that ticket goes ding 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 higher. It's a nitro cold brew coffee. Started doting menus and uh showing up everywhere. It's kind of trendy. Um, it's often served on tap like beer and has a creamier, richer taste than regular cold brew coffee, which is brewed with cold or room temperature water versus iced coffee made by serving hot brewed coffee over ice. I know nothing. I know nothing, apparently, about uh, coffee. Because that story, just, I'm not going to say it perplexes me, but it's definitely not on my radar of stories. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. You want to drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Um, a lot of Disney characters are spotted at a rival Chinese theme park. This is one of those angles that you have to understand that China's not the easiest country to invest in because they have a lot of problems with our copyrights and our trademarks. Um, and that's to hap- that's going to happen. So, um, But China, the chairman of China's biggest conglomerate, recently predicted that a new 5.5 billion Disney theme park opening in Shanghai would fail, citing a lack of innovation. Um, <laughs> and then, oddly enough, a rival theme park is... Uh, you know, darting around with Disney characters everywhere. So, just throwing it out there. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Got an event coming up in Burlingame. You can sign up for it right here, right now at robblackshow.com. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Apple's $5 billion campus, Campus 2, is really starting to take shape. And there's some studies out there, not studies, but I guess common insights into when companies start building things a little bit too big, that it's the beginning of the end for the company. Apple's on track to move into its new campus early next year. Um, Some helicopter shots show that it's 
it's starting to look round and it's starting to look multi-level and it's starting to look like construction is being finishing up or, you know, going through the process. Um, Apple is starting to install solar panels on the roof. The roof will be nearly completed, covered in solar panels when it's done. Uh, a closer look at the roof and you can see it's going to be one of the greenest buildings on the planet. Um, these are huge. <laughs> this is going to be a big, big thing. And, uh, you know, when Rome and their empire was growing, they had to entertain the people by throwing bigger spectacles, bigger spectacles. Men versus men, men versus lions, Christians versus lions. Maybe that was the beginning of the end when the spectacles got a little bit too big. When you have to keep the uh, people at bay, per se. Um, let's switch over now, bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now. CFP Chad Burton, newfocusfinancial.com. Mr. Burton, here comes another email question for you. If I'm in my, and it comes from Sarah, if I'm in my late 20s, I almost have a full year of expenses and savings, and my savings checking retirement is almost at 100000 what should I be focusing on next? So Sarah has 100000 in her Savings plus she's got a year saved up. It sounds like she's got a 401k with a hundred thousand. Ah, okay, All right. And she's got a year of expenses. You got an age on this girl? Phone number? Pushing thirty. She's in her <laughs> late twenties. She currently contributes job. contributes fifteen percent of her salary to her 401k. With Sarah's eight, been listening. With an eight percent match, she saves seven hundred dollars a month into savings. What's her next? Oh, her next financial goal. She says, "I want to buy a house," but. I guess she's asking, uh, what else should she be thinking about? Well, so, Sarah, if you're a high-income earner and you can't do a Roth, we'll talk about that for a minute. Let's say if you're eligible for a Roth. Okay, that's she, the, Actually, that, I, I know her. I met her at the seminar the other day. Okay. So she, she eligible for a Roth, Rob? Yeah, she makes about 60. Her boyfriend makes about 80. Okay, so, so yeah, they're, they're under the – well, if they're not married, it's just based on her income, so she's fine. So I'd still continue to fund a Roth IRA because if her goal is to save for the, the first house, I mean – you know, you can 5% down in the Bay Area, get a 5% down loan. Good luck with that. It's still even a 5% on a Bay Area home. She's got a while. Most houses are uh, going for cash. Yeah. So if you're, if you're coming in with 5%, you're not going to be considered. You know, unless, at that age, six, you live in the ghetto. Six, the ghetto, yeah. 60000 of income. I mean, you don't have to own the house that you live in. You could go buy a rental property somewhere else. Um, where somebody you know lives, some real estate agent in a great upcoming area somewhere in the northwest, or I don't know, you used to like Carolina, North Carolina for I like college towns. So college like towns, Raleigh's fun. Yeah, think about college towns. Do you ever get uh, bad renters or party animals in your in your homes? Um, no, but I can see how it could happen. Yeah, so you just got to be careful. You, I use a management good company. property manager, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's one thing is I don't see how you would afford to buy a Bay Area home in a nice area with $60,000 of income. It's not going to happen. Right. So be a renter. Don't be ashamed of it. As long as, especially as long as you're saving 15 to 20% of your pay like Sarah's doing. Yeah. I think that a Roth IRA growing tax-free in the stock market over 20 years will probably beat that real estate. And, you know, people say, well, my Bay Area home has doubled over the last 10 years, 15 years. So is the stock market over the last five or six from the bottom. And over the last 100 years, it's averaged 11% without property taxes, without maintenance, without remodeling. You know, eh, you know, remodeling a portfolio is a quarterly rebalance, right? Right. It's not tearing out all your kitchen appliances every 10 years. 
So, um, which I seem to be doing every like three. <laughs> so I don't know what's wrong with my kitchen appliances. You're a crazy cooker. I don't know. You need to go bam all the time, just throwing stuff in the pan. <laughs> I did do a little bit of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, do the Roth IRA because in a Roth IRA, if you're funding the Roth IRA, it's going to grow tax free for your retirement, right? But if you ever decide to buy a house, you can always take your contributions out without paying taxes on those contributions. Okay. If you're under 59 and a half, you're going to pay taxes plus a penalty on the gains. Right. Um, so you can always get the contributions back out. So definitely continue to max out that Roth IRA. Okay. Um, and then continue to save in very tax-efficient mutual funds. So that would mean that your taxable account, after you've maxed your Roth IRA, you'd be wanting to do invest in large-cap and mid-cap index ETFs or mutual funds, no-load mutual funds, which means that in your 401k at work, that's where you'd have all the other assets, your small cap, your emerging market. So you've got to start balancing your asset location. So you look at your overall asset allocation and say, okay, I want my taxable accounts to be my large cap, mid cap, longer term hold, tax managed uh, ETFs or no load mutual funds. And then, like I said, everything else in your retirement accounts, your REITs, your small cap, your emerging markets, all that kind of stuff there. So uh, she just has to be careful where she's accumulating different types of assets to keep her taxes low. And just continuing to save. And who knows, maybe in five, ten years she'll have enough money to buy that Bay Area home. Okay. Um, thanks very much for that. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Coca-Cola is going to be branding its cans in the U.S. flag to salute the Army this summer. Starting, I believe, July the 4th. This is just an example of another company, a big company, Coca-Cola, publicly traded. Um, marketing and advertising, and uh, Budweiser's changing the name of their beer to America until the presidential election in November. <laughs> it's as if we're that stupid, but yeah, maybe we are. I want to drink America, so it's like, how's America taste? Well, it tastes like cheap beer to me, but that's between you and me. Uh, Coca-Cola now jumping on the bandwagon, where they're gonna make a flag-like can. And again, I have no problem saluting the, you know, United States organizations and the the military. My father was military. Uh, The USO, I think, is awesome, and they're going to be part of the can as well. Uh, But it just seems like that's kind of odd, but okay. Kind of odd could kind of work. I'm not against it. Uh, Elsewhere in, you know, stories that look really trivial, but maybe they're not, uh, Disney execs are not happy with the video footage that they've seen of Star Wars spinoff on Rogue One. So they're basically doing a lot of reshoots. The first cut of Rogue One was shown to a Disney executives, and they're not satisfied. So, you know, J.J. Abrams touched the Star Wars franchise and hit gold this past Christmas, this past holiday season. Uh, the movie that's preceding Episode Four, where the rebels steal the plans... Not looking so good according to stories out there. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW.
Welcome back, Ken. <clears throat> Rob Black and everybody. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. One of my favorite guests to talk to. I get to do this every Tuesday. Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Thank you. Happy summer to you. Yeah, likewise. So are we in a summer of discontent? Should we sell in May and go away? Well, uh, it doesn't appear as if there was a whole lot of, lot of selling that took place in May. I mean, the market's on track to close this month, uh, you know, positive. Uh, it's a nice showing. And, uh, you know, and we're exiting the month really with a, uh, uh, a demonstrable shift in, uh, in sentiment, if you will, in that uh, we've seen the market tolerate quite well the idea of a possible rate hike coming later this month or certainly uh, in July at the latest. Uh, and uh, and that's been somewhat encouraging to see because what it does is it reflects an attitude that uh, the market is, is coming around to the idea that the Federal Reserve will be raising rates for the right reasons, that is, because the economy is getting stronger, as opposed simply to wanting to, uh, you know, kind of get some rate cut insurance in its back pocket to fight the next downturn. So what's the the big stories that we're focusing on right now, and are they worth us focusing on, or should we be paying more attention to, like, earnings or something that's uh, not part of that big story? Well, I do think that the market is certainly focused on the uh, the idea of the of monetary policy, you know, not just with respect to the Federal Reserve, but as it relates to the European Central Bank, uh, the Bank of Japan, people think of China. Um, you're going to have an ECB meeting later this week. Uh, not expecting anything out of that uh, uh, meeting itself, but uh, you know the ECB is certainly going to uh, reiterate its line and it stands ready to do more if necessary. Uh, but uh, the market, though, is 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 uh, focused primarily on what the Federal Reserve is is about to do, and uh, and I think more tellingly, uh, as I alluded to earlier, it's it's focused on how the market is going to react to the idea. Uh, of an actual rate hike here in the near term, and so far so good. And uh, you know, and ideally, that's what you do want to see. Um, you want to have some confidence in the idea that the Federal Reserve is raising rates because the economy is getting better, which therefore should translate into earnings getting better. And so, uh, to your question, Rob, I think uh, you know there will be some increased focus on uh, this uh, so-called inflection in the earnings uh, recession that we're seeing here. Uh, and hopefully going to see some better things in the second half of the year as it relates to earnings estimate trends. Uh, and uh, if we can see those trends moving up and have those trends joined with uh, encouraging economic data, it does bode well here for the equity market, I think, uh, in the second half of the year. Oil prices and gasoline prices. Um, obviously, it's been an interesting two years with the oil Going from very high to very low, it's is it finding its level at fifty? Do you think, or is it too early to tell? Do we dip back to thirty? Uh, what do you think the next direction of oil is going to be based on what we're seeing currently? Uh, well, you know, I think probably in light of the uh, what near one hundred percent move we've seen in oil prices off their lows, um, you can make a good case that the next leg will be lower. Um, uh, you know, we do know, have noticed that uh, there's a lot of net long positions in uh, oil uh, contracts, uh, which could be viewed as a somewhat of a contrarian indicator. And, and coincidentally, you have an OPEC meeting this week uh, that um, 
you know, probably is not going to produce that production freeze agreement that a lot of people have talked about. Uh, but nonetheless, I think you still have a lot of people that are positioned for further gains ahead for oil prices. So could get a bit of a contrarian move here in the near term. But at the same time, you've seen with the pickup in oil prices, you probably have uh, basically forestalled uh, you know, further production cutbacks that a lot of uh, participants in the oil market would have liked to have seen, maybe even some added failures within the energy patch that are not uh, you're probably not going to come to fruition here. And so you could still be running into a supply overhang issue here in the coming weeks and months because uh, more producers will be incented to produce at these higher prices uh, and therefore leaving the market somewhat uh, saturated with all of the uh, supply that could make added gains here for oil prices of any substance uh, somewhat difficult to come by in the near term. So you write an article for briefing.com, and I like I love briefing.com. I start every morning reading page one. Um, it's a pretty good punch at what's going to go on in the day's action with a little bit of review of yesterday and this morning's action. But you also write something called the big picture. And the big picture you put together, I think, on Friday afternoons, or you put together all week, and it comes out on Friday afternoons. Um, you talked a little bit about the bullish, bearish sentiment, and I think it's starting to get a little... Um, micro in people's minds when we start surveys like this? How important is it to study people who are thinking the market's going to go up bullish, people who think the market's going to go down bearish? Sure. Well, you know, notwithstanding the everyday reminder that you should take emotions out of your decision-making, I mean, the fact of the matter is that um, sentiment does, does factor greatly into a lot of uh, individual investors' decisions. I think it's just part of our, our makeup, you know, where it, it's difficult to divorce your emotions from some of those de- decisions that get made within the stock market. Having said that, the uh, American Association of Individual Investors does a survey every week. Um, and the latest survey that comes out on Thursday, so it was last Thursday, you know, was a real eye-opener in the respect that it showed a remarkably high level of neutral sentiment. Right, the reading there was at 52.9%, which is the highest reading since the week of April 12, 1990, uh, and that's well above the long-term average of 31.2%. And it was joined by a very low level of bullish uh, sentiment that stood at just 17.8%. For some perspective, for your listeners, um, you know that was below the 18.9% reading seen the week of March 5, 2009, uh, right, which was at the market bottom. Uh, and incidentally, at that same period, bearish sentiment hit 70.3% that week. Now, in this latest survey, bearish sentiment stood at 29.4%. So that's below the long-term average of 30.3%. And it's also well below the level we saw the week of February 11, 2016, uh, when it stood at 48.7%, and from which, of course, we saw a huge rally in the, in the S&P 500. So what you have right now is uh, definitely low levels of bullish sentiment, but you don't have very high levels of bearish sentiment. You do have really high levels of neutral sentiment. So in the big picture column I wrote, what I was arguing uh, or, or highlighting for readers is this potential for a so-called flat squeeze. Uh, so you have a lot of people that are sort of on the sidelines here waiting for the market to take some direction. Uh, and based on uh, the prevailing you know, breakout move here, things could accelerate quickly, either up or down, if those uh, fence sitters, so, so-called fence sitters, get drawn back into the action. 
to um, support that directional bias. So, uh, you know, coincidentally, here we are sitting at the very upper end of the trading range that we've been stuck in since uh, mid-March. So the next few weeks here, I think, could be somewhat telling here as it relates to a breakout in investor sentiment uh, and it tipping either more bullish or more bearish. Uh, but I think that the next big move will probably become more from a so-called flat squeeze as opposed to an actual short squeeze. Good stuff. A lot to digest there. One of the things I do is I cut your audio up and I send it to briefing.com and you all repost on your Twitter feed, but also I put it on my Facebook page if anyone ever wants to redigest what you just regurgitated out there for us to uh, process. Is there anything else that you're working on that you want to bring to our attention at this point in time? Well, this is a, certainly a very big week of economic data, and it's, it's quote, you know, hard data uh, primarily, not, not just the, the soft surveys that we're seeing, which, you know, today, incidentally, the soft surveys, the Chicago PMI and the consumer confidence reading were both disappointing, whereas the personal income and spending report, which is a hard piece of data for April, was, was rather encouraging. Uh, you saw personal spending up 1%, the largest month-over-month increase since August 2009, and it's a very good portent as it relates to a growth pickup in the second quarter. But we're going to see some more data throughout the week, and most importantly, the employment situation report for May, which is going to certainly uh, flow right into the market's view of what the Fed is likely to do at the June meeting here. And so that's an important thing to watch. And, and uh, I'll probably be doing something built around the, uh, the economic data we see this week uh, with respect to the, the big picture column that I'll be posting on Friday. And when the Fed does, or let's say the, let's say the Fed does raise interest rates sometime in the next 60 days, do you think the market responds negatively or do you think we're, it's already built into the cake? Well, I think it's, it is built in somewhat. I think, um, you know, we've seen this idea of the Fed going to raise rates here uh, in the very near term handled relatively well by the equity market. But the thing I would encourage your listeners to focus on, though, really is probably the direction of the dollar, right? Um, you know, if that dollar index keeps, you know, creeping higher here, uh, it could run some interference with these expectations for a pickup in, in earnings growth in the back half of the year because it will – be a potential negative for U.S. multinationals and will continue to restrict some of the export activity there uh, for, you know, U.S. exporters. So uh, something certainly keep an eye on, but right now it's it's just kind of hanging there and people aren't paying as much attention to it, but something certainly to focus on as we roll into the back half of the year. Good time to go on vacation with a stronger dollar though, right? If the dollar's going up for the right reasons, I would I would agree. Yes, uh, in many respects, it is a good time to go <laughs> go on vacation there. With that said, thank you so much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. You can find him and his articles that he writes every day at Briefing.com. It's an unbiased uh, opinion on both domestic and international markets. There's technical trading. There's story stocks. There's breaking news. There's thought-out columns. Uh, it's really, really a must-use site if you're going to invest on your own or with a team of others, uh, both professionally or personally. You can find him at briefing.com. You can find me at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Thanks for listening to the show. Hopefully you're not listening to the show. Hopefully you're on vacation right now. <laughs> if I can say that without upsetting too many people. <clears throat> Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about money investing and more. <clears throat> Excuse me. What's up with my my throat? Holy mackerel. Um, stock market, I don't do a lot of today, here are the numbers. I don't really want to get you in that world. I don't want to get you in the world of here's an app and you're going to make billions of dollars. I don't want to get you into that thought process. Um, I just, you know, it's not an area that I think is going to help you much. I think it's going to hurt is kind of what I'm getting at. So should you invest in IPOs? I'd rather answer questions like that and let you know that just 31 companies sold new shares public this year, which is less than half the number they did last year at this point in time. And if you look at the calendar, we're halfway through the year. You know, when June hits, it's it's month six, right? So we're not technically half, but it's a big number. 2015 was a weak period for IPOs, so 2016 is even a weaker period for IPOs. Uh, nine of the past 100 IPOs are down 60% or more. That tells you it's going to be tough for you to make money in. Some investors might think they're smarter than the pack and can pick the good IPOs versus the bad IPOs, but that's really, really difficult to do. Three of the past 100 IPOs have more than doubled. But these are pretty obscure stocks, and you would have to do a lot of work to figure out that they were appropriate. Coming to like Aqua Metals, which is a lead recycler. And you're like, okay. And you could probably figure out the story. Lead pain, kids eat lead, and let's recycle lead. You could probably figure out some stories, right? But then there's a biotech called Editus Medical. And a healthcare company called X. Avx. Avxis. I can't even pronounce it. I like the way you say uh, that. Thank you. So, I don't pretend to know biotech. When I won't invest in a biotech company unless an analyst is, is figuring it out for me. Um, every biotech company to me wants to cure cancer, cure erectile dysfunction, wants to cure baldness, so we can all have full heads of hairs, make babies, and live to 120. Um... And I can't tell the difference between scientist and scientist. And I can't tell the difference. You can look at phase studies that they've gone through. Are they in phase one, phase two, phase three? Um, have they presented to the FDA yet or not? And you could cut down on the risk by investing in a company that's gone through phase one, phase two, phase three. Or you can cut down on the risk of, you know, they do have FDA approval, but then again, you're probably going to be paying a lot more money than the person who took a lot more risk in phase one, phase two, phase three. So IPOs are tough, and the crop of IPOs that are out there right now are not the easiest things to analyze. Gold's down, trading at a three-and-a-half-month low. Um, 
It's down about $100 from a 15-month high struck in early May as anticipated higher interest rates continue to dent the precious metal. I would not invest in gold. I understand why people want to invest in gold, but looking at my career and what do I have, 15, 20, 25 years left of work, um, I think the stock market is going to get to a much better return than gold. Now, gold might be good if the world goes to hack in a handbasket, and you'll hear people like Glenn Beck tell you that. I think Glenn Beck is basically a big loser who beats on stories that he really doesn't care about. Uh, but his push of gold is hideous. Any basically uh, political show that pushes gold is doing it because they don't have good advertisers. And gold is what I would refer to as a bad advertiser in the sense that the markup on gold is typically about 30%. To sell it, it's typically about a 30% take. It's impossible for you to make money on gold. Now, but if if the economy goes to zero, the dollar is going to be worth not even the paper that it's printed on. <laughs> These radio people say this because they get a big kickback from the gold sponsor. Um, the truth is, if the economy goes heck in a handbasket and the dollar's not worth you know, the paper that's printed on, instead of gold, you're going to probably want a shotgun. And you're probably going to want, you know, an underground canal system uh, that has oxygen and food it supplies for years. You are not going to want gold. Ye gentlemen at Safeway, do you take a pound of gold for a loaf of bread? No, they won't. So it'll have no value. So don't buy into people that push that. If it didn't have that big kickback that big sponsor kickback, no one would be talking about gold. Consumer spending surged in April at the fastest. Now, again, is gold a hedge? It can be. Should you buy it maybe in a fund that doesn't have a 30% markup to buy or sell? But I, I don't make a case for it, even in that case. So consumer spending scores the biggest jump in six years. That's nice to see. Um, an area that's doing really, really, really well is homes. Home price appreciation remains strong in March. This is the data that we're just getting now from the S&P Case-Shiller Index. It met consistency's expectations of a 5.4% uprise. The biggest gains, again, coming from the Pacific Northwest um, and the overall West. Largest declines in urban unemployment um, have been seen. So Portland, Oregon rose nicely. Seattle and Denver did very well. The S&P Case-Shiller U.S. National Home Price Index, which measures all nine U.S. Census divisions, up 5.2% in March. So Volkswagen returns to profitability. That's a nice headline for a company that's basically being attacked by governments around the world. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.